Today's lesson is the dividing prophet, and we find this in Matthew chapter 25. Now, Jesus promised that one day he will return, and when he returns, he will divide people into one of two different categories. Those that have placed their faith in him for salvation and those who have placed their faith in something else. Now, Jesus really desires for us to be prepared for his return. We don't know when he will come back, but we know for sure that he will come back. In the meantime, he's given us good work to do to build his kingdom. Not that our work can earn us our salvation, but it's actually evidence of our salvation. Now, in Jesus' last week on the earth, before his crucifixion and his resurrection, Jesus' disciples were sitting privately with Jesus. And they asked, well, when, when are you coming back at the end of the age? The disciples understood and believed that Jesus had to go away, but they also knew that he would one day return to restore all things. Jesus answered them with parables fictional stories used to convey moral and spiritual truth, to explain that no one knows the time or, or hour, but it was still necessary for them to prepare for his return and work to build his kingdom while they waited. Now, the first point of this lesson is that Jesus divides the wise and the fools. We're going to find this in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 4, and then look at verse 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. Now, in the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus described the kingdom of God in the setting of a wedding feast. Now, back then, groomsmen and bridesmaids had very specific jobs. The groomsmen would actually usher the groom from his home to the home of his bride to pick her up. The bridesmaids would be ready to usher the bride and groom into the groom's home for the wedding feast when they arrived. If the wedding feast was late in the evening, perhaps it was dark outside, the bridesmaid's job was to have lamps prepared to show the bride and groom the way to the feast. Being a bridesmaid was a position of honor, much like it is today, but in the parable, not all of the bridesmaids gave their position its proper weight. Everything about the ten bridesmaids was the same except for one thing. Five were wise and five were foolish. The five who were foolish brought only their lamps. They didn't bother to prepare for any extenuating circumstances. They did not stay alert for possible delays. The five who were wise, however, brought their lamps with extra oil, oil in anticipation of any problems that might arise. They wanted the groom to have a perfect day, and they thought about all they could do to make that happen for him. Now, the parable of the ten virgins was part of Jesus' response to the disciples question on when he would return. Jesus was teaching his disciples that they would be wise to prepare for him to possibly take longer to return than they might expect, 
At the same time, they needed to be ready because he could return at any moment. The question for the disciples wasn't if Jesus was coming, but when. Jesus taught them to be alert because no one knows the day or the hour except for God the Father. As Jesus delivered his final teachings to his disciples, he showed them that the justification and works go hand in hand. Like the bridesmaids in the story, his disciples were chosen to do a very important job. Not to earn their salvation, but because they had received that salvation as a gift by faith. We are not justified by anything that we ourselves have done, can do, or even will do in the future. We are justified solely based on our faith in the finished work of Jesus, who took, who, because Jesus took our place on the cross. Our good works are not our key into the kingdom of heaven. They are evidence that we belong. Good works are the fruit of the faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Good works are reflections of our love for God and our faith in Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Now, Jesus divides the wise and the fools both wisdom and foolishness are reflections of the heart that are seen in our actions. What we do externally reveals who we truly are internally. And what we do with what God gives us is a reflection of what we think about God. Now, the second point in this um, lesson is that Jesus divides the diligent and the faithless. We find this in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 to 30. <clears throat> the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If he knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, a talent was the highest current, currency in Roman society. Just one talent was consi a considerable amount of money, about two decades' worth of wages. Now, in this parable, Jesus divided the diligent and the faithless. The master gave talents to three of his servants while he went, went away on a journey. He gave them talents in order that they would invest what they were given and return to him what belonged to him with interest. Essentially, the master was asking his servants to build his kingdom while he was away. The final servant received one talent less than the other two servants, but still a considerable amount. When the servant came to his master, he showed himself to be faithless through his inaccurate assessment of the master's character. His perception of the master's character was inconsistent with the master's response to other servants. The servant also failed to understand that he 
and all that he produced belonged to the master anyway. To say that the master reaped where he had not sown was not only inaccurate, it also showed a deep misunderstanding of his role and his relationship to the master. The servant responded to the responsibility given to him by his master in fear and instead of faithfulness. He buried his talent in order that he not lose his master's money. But his action was less an act of self-preservation and more an act of disobedience and disbelief in his master's goodness. His words and his actions were reflections of his heart. What we do is a direct reflection of what we believe. If we believe Jesus to be good and his salvation to be true, we will respond in loving obedience to building his kingdom. The servant showed that he was evil and lazy through his disobedience. The master's repetition of the servant's character assessment isn't the master validating what the servant was saying. Instead, the master pointed out the logical inconsistency if the master truly were a harsh, as harsh as the servant thought. He should have at minimum deposited the talent with the bankers to earn interest. The servant didn't even do the minimum. The master's expectations were realistic and individualized, but the servant failed to see the honor of his responsibility because he didn't like that he was building a kingdom that wasn't his own. He failed to see that his master desired to be good to him and actually gave him more responsibility and authority. So the master responded by taking away the talent that he gave the servant and removing him from his household altogether since the servant's actions proved that he didn't belong. Then Jesus summarized the parable. Those who are responsible with what's been given them will be rewarded. For those who are not, their resources will be taken from them and they will be cast out on judgment day. Jesus' reference to the weeping and gnashing of teeth usually is about the end times. Jesus' warning was stern and serious and should not be taken lightly. God desires that we all take part in advancing the kingdom that he has prepared for us. We each have a different role, but all the work reflects the compassionate heart of God who sent his son to die in the place of sinners. Now, the third point is that Jesus divides the compassionate and the indifferent. We're going to find this in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or... Or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now Jesus described his return in verse 31 as glorious and authoritative. Jesus will gather every nation. He will divide people like a shepherd divides the sheep and the goats. The image of Jesus sitting on the throne and separating each person to his right and left gives us context as to what the right and left mean. To the right of a king is always a place of prominence and honor, while the left is a place of disgrace. Sheep and goats frequently grazed together, but when it was shearing time, they needed to be separated. From afar, sheep and goats may look similar to each other, but sheep had valuable wool. So as Jesus divides the sheep and goats, he puts the sheep in a place of prominence. Jesus said in verse 34 to those on his right that they would inherit the kingdom. An inheritance isn't something that you earn. It's something it's something that you receive for who you are. Those on the right didn't work to inherit the kingdom of God. Their work came because they had an inheritance in the kingdom of God. God has prepared his kingdom for us to receive it. Hell was never meant for God's beloved creation. God has always desired that humankind enjoy an eternal relationship with him, unencumbered by the presence of sin. We don't have the ability to do the work necessary to remove our sin and guilt that has condemned us to hell. Jesus has done all that work on our behalf. We are justified by placing our faith in the work that he has done. Just like how the wise bridesmaids gave proper weight to their position, those on the right are blessed to receive the kingdom that God prepared for them and their compassion was simply the fruit of their position. Our identity as those who will be on Jesus' right side should stir our affections to share the message of the gospel through our words and share the message of the cross through our actions. Jesus promised that one day he will return to usher in the fullness of God's kingdom. Until that day, Jesus instructed us to make the most of our time, telling others how they too can be part of the coming kingdom. Because we have to come to know the exceeding value of God's kingdom, we urgently proclaim the gospel to the world so that others might be brought into the kingdom as well. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins to save us and bring us closer to you. Lord, I pray for those that are sick and hurting today that you just wrap your loving arms of grace and mercy around them and raise them up and restore them. And Lord, I ask for everyone that listens to this lesson that you would just send the Holy Spirit to guide and direct their footsteps and show them who they need to share this message of salvation with today. For it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.